Oh, good morning. morning. It's great to see you all. Uh, Before we jump in this morning, I thought I'd just talk for a moment about a little personal update with us. We, as many of you know, uh, we have been on a process of selling our house and trying to get over here to the West End, uh, which has been an ongoing process trying to do renovations and uh, get it on the market, whatnot. And so uh, some of you are aware, but haven't had a chance to update everybody. So we've reached a point where we finally have all our renovations are finished and our house is now on the market. It's been on there for a couple of weeks. Um, and so we're still kind of in transition, hoping to get over here as soon as possible. So we would definitely encourage and appreciate your prayers for the sale of our home. We actually have an open house today. I don't know if that'll make any difference, but uh, we're trying to do what we can. So we encourage you to, to perhaps say a few prayers for us in the sale of our home. And it's an interesting experience, actually. Uh, many of you probably have, have gone through this before of buying and selling property. And, and so you know what I mean when I say you get these websites with, with pictures on them to various degrees of quality. And, and it's really hard to make a decision on, you know, is this the right place or is this not the right place to go to? You, you see these pictures, you see these videos, you see sometimes the, the descriptions that they put in. They put in very flowery language to really kind of increase the, the sound of the house. It's amazing how they can take some of the poor qualities of the house and try and word them as positives. That's always a curious thing to get through. But because of that, you know that you need to actually go see the houses. So we've been trying to do that as well, to go visit some uh, properties we may be interested in, in viewing. Because the, the picture never quite does it justice, right? Like, you can never get a full understanding of how large the room is, of what the color actually is within that room. Sometimes there's problems in the room, so they'll strategically place furniture to cover over those holes in the walls or those issues that they may have. There's really just no substitute for personally experience a home firsthand, being able to walk through that. You know, when you can actually get there and experience the house and experience the rooms, envision yourself, you know, pulling into the carport or the garage, envision yourself walking into the room, seeing yourself cooking dinner in that kitchen in such a way, deciding that's, that's where the TV is going to go, and I'm going to watch the Oilers game at 5 o'clock, and try and figure out what in the world goalie interference is, because I have no idea anymore what that is. Hopefully tonight we'll figure that out. Uh, But then also, who's going to be in what bedrooms, things like that. Uh, Anyways, some places are terrible. Others you walk into, and it it just feels like home. And you don't know that until you experience it. Until you actually walk into the house and experience it, and then you realize, you know what, there's just something right about this that I couldn't get from a picture or from a website. In a bigger sense, there's actually a website that uh, does this in, in a different sense. Perhaps you've used that, that website or that app, Google Maps. You've probably used that before where they have a feature that allows you to view cities and to view landmarks around the world with like 3D satellite images. Have you tried that feature where it actually gives you a 3D view of the place? And Nadine and I used this before we travel. Uh, last time we went to Cancun, for example, we thought, well, before we pick our hotel, let's, let's just see where the hotel is located kind of in the city, how close to the water is it, how blue is the water in that area, how close is it to, to the town for shopping, those sorts of things. You can even read reviews off a website like that. So there's a lot of great information, but it, it's just not the same, right? It's not the same as actually going to Cancun and feeling the temperature on your skin, uh, of smelling the ocean of hearing those waves crash upon the shore, of experiencing the food and the culture. It, you just can't get that from a website. Last time we went to New York, 
it was the same thing. We looked at Google Maps to see, you know, what is the distance from our condo to Central Park? And, and where are the museums in Central Park? And how far is it down to the, to the 9-11 memorial site? These sorts of things. But again, it's just not the same as being there and feeling the energy of the city, hearing the sound of the city, uh, looking at the paintings in the museums, not just the satellite image going down. It's not the same as of experiencing the solemnness of the 9-11 memorial. See, these images serve a purpose, but they're never a substitute for that personal experience. Nobody has ever gone to Google Maps looked at an image of a landmark and said, I don't need to go there anymore. I've experienced New York. No one has ever said that before. Because there's a significant difference between knowing about something and actually experiencing it. Can we agree with that? There's a difference. And so I was thinking about this principle this week because I was preparing for the series that we're starting today. This series that is about applying the same principle to our Christian life. Because there are many people in our world who would align themselves with Christianity. There's many people who know about Christianity, but have not had that personal experience with Jesus Christ. We may refer to these people at times as as nominal Christians. People who are associated with Christianity in name only. Or people who who have it as sort of a status as part of their identity. But they have not had that significant identifying experience. I think the problem extends a little further than than just nominal Christians, though. Because I think there are some people as well who have made a genuine decision for Jesus Christ at some point. They have believed and accepted him as their Savior, but have never taken that step to fully surrender their life to him, to allow him to be their Lord. Because there's a distinction between Savior and Lord. So that's a lot, to a great extent, what this sermon series is going to be about. Perhaps this idea that we know the Bible, we know Jesus, have a genuine belief, but can wrestle with that question, have I ever fully experienced him? No, to a great extent, the surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ is what we're referring to when we talk about this term, spiritual maturity. You know, because once a person has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior... Once that has happened for them, they have become new creations, and those new creations have an eternal destiny. And that is true for all of us who have made that profession. And that is exciting, and that is praiseworthy. But the Christian life is not just about a future destination. It's also about the lifelong journey that we are all called to pursue en route to that future destination. And I have a fear. My fear is that there are many present-day followers of Jesus Christ who are content to sit on the sidelines, who are content to to stick to the safe road and just sometimes even recline and just wait for the rapture. But in fact, we're called to to pursue something greater. We are called to pursue something greater while we wait for eternity, which is assured for us in Jesus Christ. Because the journey is just as important as the destination. You see, the journey that we are all called to pursue is to grow ever more into the image of Jesus Christ until we are with him in eternity. And along the way, between the now and the then, along the way, not only will we grow in our familiarity and our belief about who Jesus is, but I pray that through experiencing him on a regular, 
personal, daily manner. We would also start to, to change a bit in action, in characteristics, and in priorities. So in this sermon series that we'll be walking through from now until we kick off summertime, I pray that we will all have that personal and collective ability to grow in our understanding of some of the central disciplines, some of the important characteristics that define a follower of Jesus Christ who is pursuing maturity. And so today as we begin this series, we're going to take some time to define this term a little bit. We're going to define this term of spiritual maturity and highlight the resources and abilities that you may not know but are already at your disposal as we enter into this pursuit that we are all called to. Now, I think it's safe to assume that we're all familiar with this term maturity. It appears in many different areas of life. We hear about physical maturity, social maturity, religious, emotional, these all different levels of maturity that we see in, our, in the world around us. And each of them is associated with different markers that help us gauge levels of maturity that a person may, may come to. For example, we're probably most familiar with this idea of physical maturity, where when a baby is born... They're at that most immature level of having no ability for self-help, no understanding of the environment around them. But then as they start to grow up into the taller ages, they, they begin to walk, they begin to talk, they begin to explore their environment a little more. They continue to grow, and they reach adolescence stage of maturity. Their cognitive functioning starts to develop a little more, which is why they start school and advance through different grade levels. And this creates new ideas and enhanced abilities for creativity. They also start to understand relationships in a new manner. And then comes the wonderful teenage years, which are fantastic because that's where puberty happens, right? (laughs) And that sucks. But (laughs) we all have to go through that. It's part of the stage of maturity, right? But then beyond that sort of stuff, we also start to explore the environment even more. And we start to shape a worldview in a new sense. And social structures become increasingly complicated at that time as well. And then there's the young adulthood where we set on our own and careers, marriage, kids, perhaps buy our first home. And we reach a point then of adulthood where we decide that that is enough kids that we're going to have. And we probably change our careers after a little while. And then we hit the midlife crisis and we buy a Corvette. And that usually happens. (laughs) And then we come into retirement stage, where again, there's a change of activity. And and perhaps that change of activity is is volunteering and traveling more than we had time to before. And especially from what I hear from grandparents, the most fun thing is to to spoil the grandkids, fill them full of sugar, and then send them home. Right? (laughs) It's the favorite thing. Now, there's some variation to to how these steps go, but but I think we'd agree these are sort of common stages of maturity that we have in physical, relational, social, emotional maturity. That takes place. Now, notice that one of the stages is immaturity. Immaturity is not wrong. It is a necessary stage for a person to be in. Because we think it's cute for a four-year-old to don a towel as a cape, put their underwear over top of their pants, and claim they have x-ray vision like a superhero. We think that's cute for a four-year-old. But when his dad does it, we start to get a little more concerned, right? It starts to be a little weird when dad does that. Well, well, the same holds true for our spiritual maturity. You see, it's not a surprise when a baby needs to be fed milk or can't feed itself. So, too, when we have new believers who come into the faith, we should not be chastising them or be surprised when they struggle with basic beliefs and basic behaviors. There's a necessary step to go through those initial stages, But just as starting to live that new life in faith 
we need a guide who will take us beyond that to a greater sense of maturity, to a greater sense of moving from milk to solid food. So too in our spiritual sense, we need to be making that move as well. Because if we've been following Jesus Christ for a long time, and we're still feeding on milk, there's a reason to be concerned. Which is what the author of Hebrews said was he was writing to his, to his audience, where he said to them, by now you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary things of Christ again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature. Now, the solid food being spoken of here are the more advanced teachings of the Christian faith. But not just being able to know them, but also being able to receive them, but then go apply them in a Christ-like manner. So that when things are going great, we know who to thank. We know how to use those blessings that God is giving to us. We, We know how to act in those situations. When we encounter sin in our own lives or perhaps in the lives of others, we know how to respond. Do, do we respond with indifference? Do we respond simply with, with just, just tons and tons of grace? Do we respond with, with hard truth or a combination in that? It takes maturity to know how to respond to those things. When life is not, excuse me, is not going well, how do we deal with the stress? Do we start to blame other people for the things that are happening in our lives? Do we act out in negative ways that lead to personal vices that can hold us back? Or do we have negative emotions that that injure our relationships? Now, in the weeks ahead, after today, we're going to be addressing some of these and and, and many other aspects and topics and characteristics and priorities that are related to this spiritual growth, this idea of spiritual maturity. As we consider Jesus' call that we have all received to pursue greater maturity in our spiritual lives. Now, as we start to walk a little further into this, there's one passage in particular we need to take a quick look at. And it's one that we find in Philippians chapter 3, which was read earlier in the service. And this is a a passage in Philippians 3 where Paul shares some of his own journey, but then he also shows us that salvation is the starting line. It is by no means the finish line. You see, if we were to start reading at the beginning of Philippians 3, we see that he, he, he explains right away, that if it were true that we are made right with God based upon things like our effort, our character, our status, if those were the things that made us right with God, then Paul has set the bar, and he set it high. Because he says, whatever others may have accomplished, whatever other statuses they may hold, his is greater. Whatever you think you may have achieved, he has more reason to brag. If you have a million dollars, he has ten. If you have two degrees, he has five. If you've climbed Mount Everest, he's walked on the moon. You can't top this guy for achievement on a worldly sense. But when he takes all of these worldly accomplishments and statuses and possessions, and he compares them to the power and the value of being in relationship with Jesus Christ, he says these things, they are garbage. Now, garbage is actually the polite translation of that word. The literal translation of the word used there is not appropriate to be spoken in the church setting. That's the value he's holding to these, to these worldly accomplishments when compared to Christ. But it's not these things that have brought him into a relationship with God. It is not his worth, his status, his accomplishments that have brought him into a right relationship with God. It is the fact that he has placed his trust in the work and the status of Jesus Christ that has brought him into this relationship with God. 
Because you see, it's not about Paul. And it's not about me, and it's not about any of us. When it comes to our salvation, it is always about Jesus Christ. And when Paul has made this profession of faith, and he has entered into peace with God through Jesus Christ, even though he has attained that, he is saying, but I am pursuing more. I want more than just a knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, I want to go beyond that to the point where I am experiencing and pursuing a personal daily experience of my Savior and my Lord. And this pursuit is what leads him to greater maturity which he speaks of in verse 12 through 14, where he says this. He says, Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Like all people who have heard the good news, that good news that, that God has provided salvation through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like all people who have heard that and accepted it, Paul has entered into this eternal saving relationship with God. He has attained that. But he has not attained and is vigorously pursuing an ever-deepening understanding of Christ's suffering, of his resurrection, of his union with the Father, and the power of those things that is available to every person who has identified themselves with Jesus Christ. And this is a lifelong journey of discovery. This is a lifelong journey of discovery because salvation is not the, the finish line, but is the starting line of that journey. And so Paul says he must press on. That even all the accomplishments that Paul has had the transformation that's already happened in him, the fact that we now sit here with a Bible where he has written hundreds of pages of. Even Paul says, I have not yet arrived. I must press on. And he presses on forgetting what is behind and stretching to what is ahead. Not forgetting behind because it doesn't matter. Not forgetting what is behind because it's irrelevant. No, it actually was a learning experience and propels him forward and helps him to grow in maturity. But he presses on forward, not looking for what is behind. Because like a runner, he knows that a backwards glance at how much road he's already covered will only slow his further progress forward. By focusing on where I've come, he may become content with the distance he's traveled so far and realize that that is enough. Falling short of the finish line. So instead, he keeps his eyes focused forward, knowing that that backwards glance will slow his progress to go forward with his eyes set and his mind set and his heart set on focusing on the good race to be run and finishing strong to the very final stride. Where when that finish line happens, we receive the prize that we've all been pursuing. Now in the time of Paul, the the prize that a runner would receive was was at times a wreath that was placed on their head as they stood on a podium, and, and sometimes a cash prize that they would receive. But in the context that he's speaking here, the Christian prize that is being pursued is that everlasting glory, where one day we stand before God the Father, fully justified because of our identity with Jesus Christ, and having faithfully walked and grown in our knowledge and grown in the image of Jesus Christ, and he looks at us and he says... Well done, good and faithful servant. That is the finish line. That is the finish line we are striving for. 
You see, there's a difference between knowing and believing in Jesus and personally experiencing him. There's a distinction there. It's okay to know that something exists and and that can be helpful. But only an experience has that transformational power. You know, in the past, there's, there are certain care ministries that I've overseen in the church, and every time I would launch one of these, I had to very intentionally go look for a leader who had certain experiences. It was required. For example, uh, when, when I launched a divorce care program, it was, it was necessary for me to go find a leader who had been through divorce and had come out the other side and recovered from it if they were going to lead effectively when we launched a grief share program that that ministers to people who are going through the loss of a loved one. I had to find somebody who had endured and recovered from the loss of a loved one if they're going to have any credibility as they stood before people to share that experience and to lead them through their grief. It wasn't enough for them to just read a book. In order for them to have that credibility and to truly understand what the people in their classroom were going through, they had to go beyond knowledge to the experiential level. So what does this look like in spiritual growth? Well, there are those who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. They genuinely believe. They genuinely have accepted that. And based upon that faith and a whole lot of grace, they will spend eternity with God. But their fruitfulness, their level of joy that we talked about last week, their their ability and willingness and comfort level with witnessing to other people is almost non-existent. And I think we could count those people among those that Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says, there are those who will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. That's Christian language for saying they are saved by the skin of their teeth. They had just enough, which was Jesus Christ, but nothing beyond that. They never truly grew. And because they never truly grew, they had a hard time telling others about the transformation that happened in them because they hadn't really had an experience to share. And they struggled to understand the power of being in relationship with Jesus Christ because they had not surrendered to the point of having that experience. And if our relationship with Jesus Christ is as significant and as meaningful as we often claim for it to be, I just can't believe that that level of Christianity is acceptable to the professions that we're making. Like, imagine if, if this was the extent of our definition and experience of marriage, for example. Where on the wedding day, you, you say a vow, and, and you express your love, say, I love you to my spouse, and you have a celebration with your friends and family, but then the next day you wake up, and for decades to come, you never utter those words of affection ever again. You never truly share a, a moment, a fear, a joy Perhaps on, on birthdays and anniversaries, there, there's a coming together and, and uh, some affection shared, but, but that's kind of the extent of it. Now, you may still be very committed. You may get an A-plus, 100% on the duty side of marriage, fulfilling the duties of it and having zero question about your faithfulness. And that is to be honored and commendable. But words like intimacy, familiarity, and love just may not quite fit that situation because there's this other part that's missing. Instead, if we are to grow in a meaning relationship with our spouse, we need to dedicate our life to doing things consistently that engage us in a relationship with them that draws us closer to them. And that's really what this series is about when we think about our relationship with God. 
we need to consistently persevere through the things that draw us closer to God. Things like the authority of Scripture, about the power of prayer, the role of worship in our lives, the necessity of community, the calling that we have to serve, and the paradox we struggle with in finding that balance between grace and truth. Just a sampling of some of the things that we're going to spend some time talking about in these weeks that are ahead. Now that can be a daunting list. That we're going to talk about, about scripture and prayer and worship and community and service and, and grace and truth and how all that fits together. That is a lot to take in in just a couple of weeks. And I understand that that can feel like a daunting task. And it can feel like we are ill-equipped to handle this pursuit that's ahead of us. So before we go any further, and one of the last things I want to do today is finish off by taking stock of the equipment that you already have. You may not know, but you are already well-equipped to take on all of these things in the pursuit that's ahead of us. Now, to begin with, as we look at this equipment, recall that what Paul said back in Philippians 3. He said that none of this is a matter of our effort. None of this is a matter of our ability. And so if we've already started to look at this journey going, I haven't got the energy, I haven't got the ability, I haven't got the time, if we're simply looking to our own abilities, you're right. You don't. But remember, it's not about us and our abilities. It's about the equipping that we have through God. You see, just as our salvation is the work of God that we are called to place our faith in, so too our spiritual growth towards maturity finds its source in God as well. And we read about this actually again in 2 Peter chapter 1 where, where we're told that his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. You see, God alone is the resource and the growth that, source of growth that comes from his grace. He has given us everything we need for this journey that's ahead of us. And to give an idea of some of those things that he's given us, a sampling of them. Number one, right at the very beginning, he has given us freedom from sin. He has given us freedom from sin. There's a reason that sin is called bondage. Because sin will be restrictive upon our lives. Sin causes us to hide parts of our lives and can overwhelm us. It holds a person captive and keeps them so focused and all of their energy upon managing the sin and trying to hide it and overcome it that it steals their effectiveness to live out the love, the forgiveness, and the grace that is rightfully ours through Jesus Christ. Being held bondage to that sin keeps us from having the freedom to live a life for Christ and experience his joy. But because of Jesus Christ, he has already given us freedom from that sin. Along with that, we also see that God calls us into various situations. You see, nothing happens beyond God's awareness or beyond his allowance. Now, we have an easy time pointing this out when things are going well, during the good times, and when praises come easy to our mouths. But during the more difficult seasons, when when life gets a little more challenging, sometimes we step back and just think, where are you, God? Why would you abandon me now? Why in this moment would you abandon me? And, And we all can share in that experience of understanding that it's hard to see God where in the midst of the trial. We're in the middle of the trial where the fog is the thickest. It's hard to see where God is. But is it also not true that if we look back on our experiences, it's that when we emerge from that trial and look back upon it, when we get beyond it to the outside of it, we can look back and it is then that we see where God was in the midst of the storm. 
It is during those times that we see God's fingerprints upon the moment. It's then that we can understand how he was always with us and walking with us. We can so often not see it in the midst of the storm, but we see it when we emerge and look back and reflect upon it. See, situations are one of the things that God gives us too to help us grow towards spiritual maturity. Because nothing is beyond God's awareness or his allowance. I came across a quote this week by John Piper where he was speaking about this. And and John Piper said this. He said, all of your afflictions are totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is working for you an eternal weight of glory. Cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, none of it is meaningless. You see, regardless of what season or situation you find yourself in, God is God in all seasons. And he helps us and he uses those seasons to help us grow into maturity through his glory, through his provision, and through his goodness. Granted, sometimes we just can't see that until we emerge to the other side of it. But when we look back, we can see where his presence was in the midst of it. So we have find ourselves equipped being free from sin, having a God who takes us and is with us through every season of life that we find, and even uses those situations to help us grow and to help us develop. And then thirdly, we find that we have the promises of God that are ours, that whatever season we find ourselves in, we are not alone is one of the promises. But we find other things like he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to provide for our most core needs, to provide strength, protection. When we need comfort, it comes to us. When we need peace, he gives it to us. When we need community, he draws people around us. The list goes on of the promises of God that he has given to us. But most importantly, the most important promise that God has given us in this journey, in this pursuit, is that he has promised to give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, without whom none of this is possible. We are told that when we accept Jesus Christ and when we, when we begin following him, that God's Spirit comes to reside within us. That it says in 1 Corinthians 3 that you yourselves are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in your midst. You see, before Jesus was crucified, he explained that after he ascended, he would send the Holy Spirit to reside with his disciples. And that Holy Spirit would come and he would offer counsel. So it would help guide us on the path we are called to walk. It would help us to recall the teachings of Jesus. It would help us to put those things into practice. So the Holy Spirit offers counsel. It also offers conviction. Which is a word we don't often like, but it's such a critical part of what the Holy Spirit does. Because that convicting sense helps to keep us on track. Or get us back on track when we stray from the path. It points out areas in which we need to pay attention to grow a little more. Those areas where we're weakest and we are vulnerable. And it helps other people who do not yet know the Lord to understand their need for the Lord. So the Holy Spirit offers counsel, offers conviction, also offers comfort. That when we go through those more more difficult seasons where the journey may slow down to a snail's pace because of how hard the moment is, we have peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of those times. We have a hope for the future because he art with us. And he can draw others to us to walk with us. To walk shoulder to shoulder and to share that yoke and that burden with us. Now considering all of this, we can begin to see that we are well equipped for the pursuit that we've been called to. We are well equipped. And that we do have everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him. 
But one thing remains. One thing remains, and this is the only thing that is 100% up to us. This one is 100% up to us. Is will we choose to sit on the sidelines? Will we choose to follow our own desires? Or will we choose to walk according to the Spirit that has been promised and given to us? In Galatians 5, we read this. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In these verses, we see that as we go along with all this equipment that we have, we also have a guide. We have a guide who is here to teach and to direct and to walk ahead of us that we can follow him. Now, in, the first, in, in verse 16, the first part of that phrase that's up there, that word walk is used in the sense of to walk with a purpose. And so we are called to walk with a purpose by the Spirit. And that purpose is the call that we're called to pursue, to pursue Christ-likeness. But then in verse 25, the second part, where it says we are to live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, that word there refers to walking one step at a time. So often we look at a large journey that's ahead of us, and it's daunting because the mountain is tall, and the climb is hard. But if you ask a mountain climber, how did you tackle that mountain? They'll say one step at a time. They'll say, I saw what my first trek was, and I accomplished that. I didn't worry about the next six stages. I worried about the one I was on. One step at a time. To walk one step at a time. To learn to walk under the instruction of the Holy Spirit one step at a time. And the way we learn to walk in the Spirit's control is found in the very things that we're going to be studying in this series. The very things we're going to be studying in the weeks ahead and understanding and trying to apply those things are the very ways that we walk in the Spirit. You see, we are fully equipped and the call has been given and the divine guide is ready to go. Now the trek is long. In fact, it is a lifelong trek. But the reward is eternal. And so as we close here today, I invite you to join me. I invite you to join me on this pursuit because even though I stand here week after week and, and we'll be teaching on these things, I do not claim any superiority on any of them because I too am a sojourner just like you on this journey. I also will not arrive and will not attain this thing until I too stand before Jesus Christ one day. I'm no different than you. I have the same pursuit before me too. So in the weeks ahead, may we grow together not only in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, but also in our personal experience of him. Because our salvation is the starting line. And we head on, leading to greater depths of spiritual maturity. I invite you to join me in that in the weeks ahead. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this journey that you've called us to. By no means is it easy. But Lord, we know that if it's not easy, that, that increases our dependence and our need for you. And we do need you, Lord. But we need others that will go with us as well. And so I pray, Lord, that we as a community will, will use this opportunity as a time of self-examination, a time of growth, a, a time of application to go deeper within ourselves, but also within our, our personal and collective knowledge and experience of you. God, thank you for equipping us with your promises, for equipping us with the power of your Holy Spirit. We know, Lord, that there will be some days and some weeks that will be easier than others, and there will be some that are harder but we know that through all of those, you will walk with us. And you will help us to know a deeper sense of your joy, a deeper sense of the peace and your love and your grace as we grow in our knowledge and experience of you.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.